ancient Japanese art of mending broken objects with gold. Kintsugi is also a novel written by Anukriti Upadhyay about young women who breach boundaries, overcome trauma, and challenge the social order. About men, surprised by women who are unconventional, unafraid, and independent. This is a gripping book that ties in together Japan and Jaipur and follows lives of multiple characters as they intersect and diverge, collide and break. Anukriti has also written two fascinating novellas, Dora and Bhauri, based out of Japan as well as a short story collection in Hindi called Japani Sirai. Join us on this episode of India Booked to learn more about her books. Hi everyone, I am Ayushi Mona, your host on India Booked, a podcast where we talk about India through the lens of its literature and its authors. Today, I am extremely kicked to have with me Anukriti. Anukriti has written three books in English and one in Hindi. She has degrees in management and literature as well as law. Um, Anukriti's writing is fascinating because she writes in both English and Hindi. Her twin novellas that came out in 2019, Dora and Bhauri, um, is followed up with this recent publication and that's what we are going to talk about today. Anukriti, welcome to the show. Hi, Ayushi. Thank you very much for having me on India Booked. Um, I am very uh, uh, pleased to be here to talk about the books and to uh, share thoughts over about Kintsugi and Dara and Bhari um, with your listeners. Anukriti, you know, before we begin, I have to tell you that I recently had Vishesh uh, Kothari on the show. And I asked him for recommendations uh, from writers who've written Rajasthan uh, very evocatively or really well, right, in their books. And he recommended, you know, both your novellas off the bat. And I told him that, you know, I'm recording an episode with Anukriti next week. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely going to bring this up with her and tell her this. So... You grew up in Rajasthan, right, Anukriti? And how has that shaped your literary imagination? Um, I'm so pleased that uh, Vishesh uh, recommended me. Vishesh and I uh, interacted the first time at uh, the Jaipur Literature Festival earlier this year in January, um, at, where um, we were in a session talking about uh, Sri Vijaydan Deitha, uh, the legendary uh, chronicler of Rajasthani folk tales and archivist of uh, folk culture. Um, so the way Rajasthani folk tales have sort of permeated in the collective conscience of uh, the people of the state and the way it has survived, you know. So, for example, Vishesh actually grew up in uh, Kolkata and he has, uh, you know, traveled the world, educated everywhere. But the fascination for those folk tales survived in him. For me, I actually grew up in Jaipur. I lived all my um, life in Jaipur till I, uh, till I went to Hong Kong, where um, I worked for international uh, investment banks for a no- number of years. So those formative years in Jaipur, surrounded by the desert, surrounded by the um, stories and traditions of the people from the desert, I think they just uh, you know, penetrated into my subconscious without my being aware that they had such a profound impression, such a profound impact on me. So when I started writing um, Dora, 
so I wrote Dora first and then Dori. When I started writing Dora, it all started with the image of a beautiful, lush tree growing up, uh, growing in a in a desert, parched for water. So that that image of the tree and the contrast with the desert uh, was where I started the writing from. And as I wrote, all the the visuals from the desert, all the memories um, from my growing up years in Rajasthan, just uh, they, they just came flooding back. Even <clears throat> things that I did not consciously recall uh, experiencing or seeing, they, it was like a montage playing um, in my head. And um, it, it surprised me and it, the, it overwhelmed me to realize how much um, the, uh, the desert meant for me and how much Rajasthan and its traditions and um, lore is meant for me. Um, and in both Dora and Pauri, they, they just took over. They, as, as you know, Dora and Pauri are both located in rural Rajasthan. After I wrote them and um, my publisher, Udayan Mitra and I, we were discussing, um, he said, uh, can you recommend any other books which are written about rural Rajasthan? And I, originally in English, and I thought and thought, and I couldn't recall even a single one. And he said, because he is not aware of any either. So there's not a lot of original literature in English with Rajasthan um, as the location or as the, um, uh, the rural traditions, as the center. That surprised me. And it also saddened me to a degree because it's a very colorful state. It's a state uh, which has history and tradition. Anupruti, we spoke about how, you know, Rajasthan has influenced your literary imagination. And in Dora, uh, you portray this very idealistic, poetic, young district collector, right? And, and it's very interesting because we don't normally think of dhanis or, or there's a certain touristy perception of Rajasthan in the mind of an average Indian, right? And that perception is not really linked to literature. So when, while you were writing, how did you sort of, what, were you thinking that, oh, I must manifest Rajasthan in a particular way or does the story sort of uh, take over and, and Rajasthan is just a setting for you? Um, that's a very interesting question. So no, I con I did not consciously try to uh, try to portray Rajasthan. But when I began writing, and I realized that this story was actually a desert story, was um, this was really more about the desert and Rajasthan and its people uh, than I had initially visualized. Uh, the the folklore and the music and the food. Uh, the culture and traditions, they just just wove organically into the story. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, the local color of Rajasthan, the dhanis, the, the dresses of people, the very specific problems of, uh, of nomads who are treated as outcasts by the people who lead a more settled, more conventional lives and are treated poorly by you know, by the administration. Uh, those problems just, uh, they, they seem to be, to, to grow into the story without my volition. So also I'm an intuitive writer. So 
I do not plan and I never write an outline. So I was, um, uh, you know, it was it was cute. It was a curious experience to see how these um, uh, these images and these uh, features uh, just came emerged into the story. Uh, the other interesting thing was that when I was um, writing about the Sarangya in uh, Dora, one of the key characters who take the story forward, the um, the the song story that the Sarangya tells the um, district collector, that song story just emerged in one you know one whole vision. So it's it's not really a folk story. It's it's a story that I imagined. It just came intact in one entire vision, and um, it, it was quite an interesting experience to to write it because it, it, you know it comes across as a folk story, um, but in fact, it isn't. I don't know whether I managed to answer the question, Ayushi. No, you, you did. You absolutely did. And I was just thinking of the contrast between Dora and something like a Bhauri, which is which obviously is with, deals with the lives of women, right? So the visual imagery there, right? Like you have to feed the cattle. Uh, you have to, you know, bajra rotis are being made hot, right? And the kind of lives of Rajasthani women as well. Because, you know, wherever there is under-representation culturally, uh, there's one level down is the representation of women there. And and you brought that out in, in, the, in your other book. And I'm just thinking that how did, did this, you know, sort of... And Rajasthan is known for also being a patriarchal land, right? Like, like much of our country, of course. What is it that fascinates you about the depiction of these women and you've you've written and spoken about it before but i thought i'll ask you again uh, no thank you for asking this is uh, it, it, again it came as a surprise after i finished bhori how strong uh, bhori emerged and later on um, readers and people who've read bhori have said it have called it a feminist novel they've uh, they've said that it's a very strong feminist voice when I was writing it, my, you know, I was just telling a story of a nomadic woman. I, I had no, you know, I did not consciously make an effort to create a character who uh, breaches boundaries or who, uh, you know, is looking to make a feminist statement. But again, the story um, shaped that way. And that's because in, in the very difficult terrain of Rajasthan, the Rajasthani women are very hardy. You know, if you see them, they are the ones who do the, uh, you know, who do really, really hard labor. They fetch water and still there are many villages where, uh, you know, there's no no water, no electricity. They um, walk for miles to fetch water. Uh, they work in the uh, farms and the nomad women uh, travel with their uh, families, with their clans, and they lead a really difficult life. And yet... They are so uh, they are so filled with the joy of living that you see spilling out in their um, colorful dresses, their love for ornaments, um, their love for adorning uh, their carts, their camels, their oxen. So that um, uh, that will to celebrate life amidst all their hardships, it, to me, epitomizes the strength of um, of Rajasthani women. And that emerged in Bhauri. Um, the other, other um, sort of um, important 
a factor which I realized after writing Bhauri, not during its um, uh, during the writing process. After writing, I realized that she's also, you know, the complete opposite of the passive um, damsel in distress portrayed in the folk tales of Rajasthan. Uh, you know, the woman waits uh, for, uh, you know, uh, Maru waits for Dhola to come and rescue, um, rescue her uh, or, and take her away. And this, you know, uh, Padmavati, though she, uh, you know, later on commits Johar, but she also waits for Ratan Singh to come find her. So, um, whereas they do not have a personality which asserts itself, they are um, objects of um, adoration, they are objects of love. But um, Bhauri um, is, is completely opposite. She's the... Um, Asserter, she's the seeker. She's the one who falls in love with her husband. Um, so, but but that I only realized after I finished writing the book. Interesting, and um, and again, uh, both uh, in Kintsugi also, right? And and when I my perception, you know, Anukriti, when I picked up Kintsugi, was that oh, this is not going to have anything to do with India. It will be very immersed in Japanese culture, obviously due to the title of the book, right? But both Leela and Meena, right? And and the whole tying it back to Jaipur is something you've done. So if you could just tell us a bit about your new book and perhaps read a bit uh, from it and, and what was the process of writing that like for you? Sure. Kintsuki was... Um... It, 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 as you've rightly said, it's it's completely, um, it has a different um, feel and flow from the other two books that I've written. Also, um, it just, it, it reads in a, in a different manner. It's not folklorish. It's not, it, it's not tied to rural Rajasthan, but it is very much, it's very much located, or at least a significant part of it is located in Jaipur in the walled city of old Jaipur, um, where, um, you know, where tradition of, where Jaipur's old tradition still lives. Japan, to me, the two cultures, the culture of Jaipur, you know, full of um, uh, snaking lanes and crowds and overwhelming colors and smells and noise just contrasts so sharply with Japan, which is such an organized, neat, arranged culture where even nature is, um, is, is manipulated, is bent in a way uh, by, uh, by artists, by people, by landscapers, uh, by writers, to all harmonize. So the two cultures to me um, are just like perfect foils to each other. One which is, you know, in many ways, colorful and chaotic, and the other that is so organized, but once you scratch the surface, you see the, um, the, the, the repression, you see hidden things which um, emerge in subtle ways. The way uh, Kintsugi happened was, I visited Hakone uh, for the first time, and that was my first experience of a Japanese onsen, you know, a Japanese hot spring. Hakone is in a, uh, is located in the uh, mountains near Tokyo. And there is a hot spring, which it's a very popular hot spring resort, actually. But um, 
that experience of uh, hot water bubbling from under the earth when all around is cool and um, uh, misty and green that just that contrast was uh, was too strong for me to not want to capture it so i began writing um, in hakone and uh, meena and yuri um, just emerged from um, from some hidden place i guess just organically came out to tell their stories when i finished writing that first piece i realized um, that i'm not done that there is more and um, that that's how kintsugi progressed with with each part um i realized that there was one person left uh, who had more to say so meena yuri haruko lila hajimen prakash they all sort of wanted to say something or wanted to show something and that's how um their different stories um which all you know which are all interlinked their lives which touch each other which mar each other um and how how each of them copes with the hurts and how each of them heals um whether heals well or not so well that is sort of the underlying theme of kintsugi at least the the way i see it but i also feel that it's very it's not the writer's place to talk about um you know what the book's theme is or what the book says or what is what the reader should look for in the book in fact it's for the readers to tell me what they read into it because uh, things actually do not belong to the writers once they've written it um belong to the readers they they are owned by the readers so in so what you read in kintsugi is actually what kintsugi is about that's such a that's such a eloquent thing to say and you know i i know i'm sorry i'm just jumping in the middle and ask you to re- read an excerpt but i really want to understand um, your fascination with japan you know anukriti because uh, i think you while you visited japan like a gazillion times and i think you have a a personal relationship because your husband worked for a japanese bank or something along those lines i remember coming across something like that but what what is it that fascinates you so much about japanese culture yeah it's like saying why we love someone it's a very difficult question to answer right it is it comes from places that are unfathomed you know you if you are asked to dissect your feeling it becomes a, a you know difficult exercise of taking parts apart when you take bits apart they don't resemble the whole right but i'll try nevertheless <laughs> this is such a beautiful explanation now i i feel like i should not have asked this and and perhaps you know ask you a different question i should probably ask you that what is it that you find in terms of similarities in culture between japan and india and what's so different uh, sure so um, so one co- connecting link obviously is buddhism uh, buddhism went to japan from india via uh, china there are practicing buddhists there there are fascinating temples dedicated to buddha there is the highest seated buddha cast in uh, cast in uh, bronze in nara in the old uh, japanese capital and um, the buddhist traditions are um, you know part of many of their literary masters writings from uh, akutagawa to tanizaki 
um, to more modern writers too, though increasingly it seems that the religious influence in Japan has been, um, you know, has been receding. So the Buddhist linkage. The other I felt was, um, you know, people are not so different despite um, despite differences in cultures, in um, in languages, in races, because Japan, you know, it's a different race. But despite all that, essentially we react in the same way to same stimulus. What we do differently is how we express our reactions to that stimulus. So in I found, um, and it's such a, you know, my knowledge of Japan, I feel is so superficial that I hesitate in saying anything about it. Uh, but I, I do find that the politeness, you know, the extreme politeness, the self-effacing politeness of, um, uh, of the Japanese culture is, uh, I find an echo in the, uh, in the Rajasthani tradition of hospitality. So, uh, you know, people, especially um, in Shekhawati, also in Jaipur, uh, you find uh, the, uh, you find locals extremely hospitable and very, very polite. So I found that faint echo in the culture I grew up. Where I find a complete difference is in, these, in the um, uh, sense of aesthetics. So uh, the Japanese aesthetic is so distinct, right? It's so um, uh, spare and they try to, you know, they try to make it uh, minimal. They try to uh, say the, you know, they try to reduce the adornments and they bring everything with the minimum of um, expression. So they can express a lot with just one flower and one stone. Um, their Zen gardens um, are just stone gardens with, you know, a few spare plants. And um, <clears throat> the paintings, um, their woodwork, uh, their wood block prints, which are very, very... Um, you know, a great part of the Japanese, um, the way their haikus are expressing everything in three lines. That's where, I guess, I thought the Rajasthani culture differed. We um, like to adorn, we like to embellish. We can't address a person without like five adjectives. And our jewelry, if you see the Rajasthani jewelry, it is so, you know, it is so dense with design. I found this contradiction, but like I said, I found people everywhere are the same. If you ask them for help, they'll help you. If you uh, try to assimilate and get accepted, eventually will accept you. However, because of the distinctive cultures, both I would speak, I would say both Rajasthan and Japan, they would still sort of hold you at arm's length. You can live in Jaipur all your life. Uh, and be never part of the real soul or real life of the city because you don't belong to it. You've not lived there for generations. You don't know the life of the inner city. You don't know uh, the traditions that are followed. And you can never penetrate the Havelis. And same goes for Japan. You can spend a lifetime there and you can just be an outsider. That's so true. And and it's so universal, you know, I am so glad you spoke of this Anukriti because a lot of literature really is about finding ourselves in what 
people who are distinctively different lives from us have written about, right? Or who portray distinctively different lives from what they themselves have or what we have. And yet we find ourselves immersed in literature and more beautiful for it. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually really, really glad that, you know, you bought this perspective. Um, and, and I think it's very meaningful because, uh, because it goes beyond obvious uh, economic or sociocultural differences. And it's really about the humanity at the core. Since, you know, I, I jumped in and I took this conversation on a completely different tangent, can I please request you to read an excerpt? I'm so sorry. Not at all. Yes, uh, uh, I will read an excerpt. But before that, I would just like to add one more thought. Those who have read Kintsugi said, it is very courageous to write about to write about characters who are not Indian. Because as you know, Kintsugi has um, Japanese characters. So... Uh, Three of the uh, the three of the main characters are Japanese, uh, or or rather one is pure Japanese, the other two are uh, American Japanese, and um, you know I've seen reactions saying, oh that was to write about um, people from who do not come from your own um, culture or country or with whom you have not you know my my familiarity with both american and japanese culture is through travel right so i've not lived in those countries and they said it it is very uh, it's a daring thing to do when i was writing i never felt it was a daring thing to do because aren't we, you know aren't we as a race um, as a species aren't we nomads you know we started in one continent and we spread over every uh, part of inhabitable earth and to that extent we are all literally, you know, one people. We uh, we changed and we adapted to wherever we were living. But that doesn't mean that our intrinsic human quality changed. So uh, from um, from um, that, I will now read just a short piece from uh, Kensugi. So uh, this is from the uh, chapter from the first chapter titled Haruko. Haruko picked the long sharp takwa and began painstaking task of filling brilliant glass enamel into the grooves of the design. It was this traditional enamel work, Meenakari, of colors that brightened in fire, which had brought her to Jaipur in the first place. She was looking for a suitable project after completing her program at the design school back in New York. She had spent a semester in Belgium the previous year completing a GEM evaluation certification and had become interested in European enamels. Would she like to explore the Indian enamels? Her advisor had asked. It is very interesting, both the technique and the tradition. She had lent Haruko books on the history of enamel work and Indian jewelry craft. The brighter hued and elaborate Indian enamel worked in the intricate Champlevé style had fascinated Haruko. Her advisor had introduced her to Madanji, a fourth generation goldsmith over the phone. I have a shop in the bazaar, the professor had told her. You'll find it all very different from the European jewelry units. The bazaar's back lanes are a network of tiny manufactories. All ornaments are completely handcrafted, the professor had smiled. It's your type. I think you will like it. She did. The first few days, Madanji had shown Haruko around the narrow alleys of the jeweler's market in the old walled city. 
He had introduced her to the master artisans who each practiced one particular craft of stone setting or engraving or beadwork and worked for commissioning jewelers like him. But there are no sonars like my grandfather anymore, Madanji had boasted. Nandaramji, Madanji's grandfather, was goldsmith to the kings. Stories of him crafting perfectly fitting bracelets and waistbands for veiled princesses, of measurements taken from their shadows falling on the floor and walls of audience rooms were part of ornament makers' lore. When he died, princes had come to control with the family, and the royal women had sent some of the choicest pieces of their jewellery in memoriam. A few of the necklaces and bracelets were still displayed at the Gaddi. Haruko admired the scheme symmetry of the heavy, elaborate timanas and pahunchis, though crafting and wearing them would be difficult now. So this is from the first part. Um, and the first part is, uh, you know, completely set in, um, in the lanes of Johari Bazaar, the jeweler's market in Jaipur. Thank you so much, Anukriti. Anukriti, um, I have a few, uh, you know, I and I have a few questions which are very generic, but it's something I always like to ask. Um, if there's a book that you would like to recommend to the audience listening in, which you think really depicts India well, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? That's a very interesting question. I don't think there is a book that at least that I have come across that can capture all the diversities um, of India. We are such a complex country. We, we are actually many nations within a nation. But I would recommend a Hindi book, actually. For, <laughs> because uh, I think we've become too uh, sort of Anglo-centric when it comes to um, literary discourse in many ways. A, a large part of truly Indian and literature is being written in Hindi and other regional languages. So one book that I I think, especially for urban readers and for readers who have not spent time in um, in the in what's known as the uh, Hindi belt of India, uh, is Parthi Parikatha by Fanishwanath Renu. Uh, it is a book that um, is set uh, in the in Bihar in the areas in where uh, Kosi, the river Kosi's flood plains are. Perfect slice of life there. You know, it captures people, language, dialect, um, music, um, the, uh, the uh, hardships of those people, the uh, conflicts um, in villages, uh, uh, the rural life, uh, and also the essential humanness of all of us. It captures all of that perfectly, and it is written in such a lovely lyrical uh, language. The craft is perfect, you know, stories intertwined from two uh, different um, times. And um, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of um, song stories woven into, uh, in, into the narrative. So, yeah, I would highly recommend that. I'm so glad uh, that you brought this up because I'm going to ask you about your first book, which was Japani Sarai, right? You wrote it in Hindi and it's very interesting because, I mean, uh, for very obvious reasons, you're one of the rare writers, Anukriti, who, who writes bilingually, right? And uh, 
and Japanese that I was actually like read and uh, appreciated by so many people. How did writing and now you've written? So you wrote a collection of ten stories in Hindi. Uh, you've written a novel. You've written novellas. How is the experience switching from formats and languages uh, different or interesting for you? So I I think I um I started out with long short stories, so ten thousand word short stories, and as I wrote them. i realized that uh, i was trying to cram too much in the short story format um my editor at uh, harper's rahul soni he's someone who's uh, you know literary judgment um his taste the way he reads the uh, texts i really greatly admire and i defer to his judgment in uh, almost all points of um, literature and he said that perhaps these short stories are actually not short stories they are a longer format um that's how the short novels happened because i realized dora couldn't have been couldn't be well told in 10000 words and uh, with kintsugi uh, it was the same the uh, the stories i started out with writing a short story but then i realized you know that's not the case so uh, you can say i'm um, you know very very uninformed writer i never know which story is going to uh, you know uh, require which format i just start writing and midway through i realize oh shoot this was not a short story so uh, but short story remains my you know a format i really enjoy writing the uh, stories of japanese sarai are all again they are like completely different from dora bhori and kintsugi Uh, they are um, uh, they are about our contemporary lives they are about um for for years now um city ha- cities have been my um home as well so they are about the disconnection uh in urban landscapes uh, uh you know people disconnected from their roots people being disconnected from other people and eventually people being disconnected with their own selves um uh, so they are they are slice of life stories from um from from various um uh, urban scenarios uh they are also about um, you know heartbreaks loss about um, uh, you know about nature losing out to humans um and um and breakdown of relationships um familial relationships so i i think they are um you know they are just stories about ordinary people uh, you know i i do hope more more people read them um they gained attention in the hindi literary um world because and, and people said they are very new very fresh the style is being different i i think the reason because i came from a different um uh set of experiences uh, than you know then many hindi writers so more sort of very much urban cosmopolitan international experience which is common for english writers but not so common for indian for hindi writers 
Anukriti, it's been an absolute pleasure to have had this conversation. Um, I have immensely enjoyed it um, as much as I enjoyed reading all your books so far. I hope uh, that other people also grab a copy of uh, your books and read them because genuinely the story uh, and the narrative is so fresh and, and also tender. I, I, I personally think if I have to use one adjective, uh, I would I would say I find your book very tender to read and um, I would request people who are listening in to go grab a copy from either Amazon or an independent bookstore near you um, and, and have a great time reading. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on India Book Diary. It's been a very interesting conversation. Um, and um, yes, I hope uh, people read Kintsugi and share their thoughts. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and I love um, interacting with uh, with readers. So, uh, you know, please feel free to reach out. This is for the listeners. Anybody who wants to reach out, I'm very happy to hear always from the readers because, like I said, uh, the books belong to readers. I want to know what you thought of um, Kintsugi.